And we come now in our studies of the last week of Christ's life to the crucifixion of Christ. And it has been from ancient times the focal point of everything we believe. And way, way back when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, they were bitten by poisonous snakes, vipers. And Moses said to God, what do I do? He said, I want you to put a snake on a pole, a brass snake, and lift it way up in the air. And the message you give to the people is just look at it and you'll live. Just look at it and you'll live. And to everyone who looked, they lived. And so it comes to us today that when Christ is up on that cross, the message is look and live. Look at it. See it. We look saying today, when I survey the wondrous cross, I look at it. So I ask you to look today at it with us. Luke Gospel chapter 23, part of our text, and another part in Matthew 27. We consider events around the death of Jesus Christ. Most all of my life, I've been a pretty healthy person. Not many aches and pains. Occasional bout with a common cold, but very little else. And I would like to attribute that to Viking blood flowing through my veins. But I know better. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. God kept me, for which I am most grateful. And the mercy of God has been with me. I only recall a couple instances where I had any real pain. I remember my foot began to swell up once till it hurt to walk. I thought my foot was broken, so I hobbled into the emergency room. I told them I thought I broke my foot. They asked, well, how'd you do it? Did you stub your toe? Did you fall down? I said, no, I didn't do anything. It just broke. (laughs) So they took an x-ray. When they come back, they said, your foot is not broken. I was about to say, don't tell me my foot isn't broken. And they asked me a question. Have you ever had the gout? And I said, well, no, but my father had the gout regularly. So they said, well, now you've got it. So you go to the doctor and he'll give you some pills. It'll help. So I went to old Doc Fenera in Batavia. He said, yes, I can give you some pills. I'll take care of your condition. There is something else that I can do, but it's really painful, and a lot of people refuse it. But it does help. He said, I can stick a needle right in that sore joint and put cortisone in there, but it it hurts an awful lot. I said, it helps? He says, yes. I said, well, hurry up. Get it in there. There's no pain worse than walking on this gout-ridden foot. So hurry up. And he did. He hurried. And it hurt, but it helped. And one other time I had a toothache. My whole head was throbbing. I wanted to work, unable to concentrate. I went to the dentist. As I was driving down the road, I could feel getting worse and throbbing and throbbing. And I have a word for pain like that. 
exquisite. Now that's a word we associate with something we enjoy usually. That meal was exquisite. But it also means this, very intense. And when pain gets to be so intense, I say it's exquisite. There's a pain that is intense, exquisitely intense. I hope you never have it. In our text today, there's a lot of pain. An exquisite type of pain. We take up the story where we left off last week. Jesus appeared before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate tried to avoid the case over and over, uh, declaring Jesus to be innocent. But the Jewish leaders kept applying political pressure to Pilate, demanding that he find Jesus guilty. Now remember, the last week of Jesus' life was Passover week. The favorite holiday of the Jews, they celebrated like we do Christmas. It uh, wasn't celebrated on one day, but a whole week long. Passover was also a very patriotic holiday, sort of like our 4th of July. It was a commemoration of the time when Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to freedom. And so the Jews ate their Passover dinner, the same food that Moses told the Israelites to eat on that very first Passover in Egypt. Moses said to them, kill a lamb and roast it with fire because that's the fastest way to cook it. And make your bread unleavened. Make sure there's no yeast in your bread because we don't have time to let your bread rise. So eat your Passover dinner standing up. Don't sit down. Get your shoes on. Pack your bags and be ready to go. Eat quickly. That first Passover dinner tonight we will leave the slavery of Egypt and go free. Get ready. We're going to leave in a hurry. Now in Jesus' time, they still roasted their lamb. They still ate unleavened bread. But they changed one thing. They didn't eat standing up with their shoes on. They said, we are not slaves, so we can eat lying down, relaxing, and enjoy a leisurely meal. Because we are not slaves. But in Jesus' day, there's sort of a problem with all that. The Romans were occupying their country. There were Roman soldiers in the streets. And the Romans built a fortress just behind the temple in Jerusalem called Antonia. The Roman fortress was higher than the temple. And so were the Jews really free. Passover, a very patriotic holiday, reminded the Jews that the Romans were in charge. 
And there was a constant stress that increased at Passover when the feelings of patriotism ran high. Now, in order to try to relieve some of that stress, the Romans devised a plan to mollify the Jews. At Passover, the Roman governor would release a prisoner held in some Roman prison at the request of the Jewish people. Sort of a give-and-take situation. Yes, we are in charge, said the Romans, but we will release any prisoner and set him free to celebrate your Jewish Passover freedom. It was a very clever maneuver on the part of the Romans that pacified that patriotic stress. Now you recall, Pilate thought to use this maneuver and release Jesus, therefore not to have to deal with Jesus on trial. But he was cleverly outwitted by the Jewish leaders who anticipated his move and prepared the crowd gathered outside. And when Pilate offered to release a prisoner, to shout aloud, release Barabbas! We want Barabbas! Which is exactly what they did. And when Pilate asked, what shall I do with the king of the Jews then? They cried out, crucify him! Crucify him! So Pilate outwitted by the Jews, had to release Barabbas. His name, Bar-Abbas. Bar means the son of. Abba means the father. So Barabbas was the son of the father. It may have been a nickname, but it had a very patriotic ring to it. Jewish family from one generation to next. The son of the father, Barabbas. The Bible says that Barabbas was a robber. And he and his gang were sort of daring thieves who defied the Roman presence. Like Robin Hood, they were outlaws with a patriotic twist. And they were violent men. They had murdered a man in committing their crimes. The Romans caught them, condemned them to die by crucifixion. And so it was that very morning when Jesus was arrested and put on trial, Barabbas and two of his men were scheduled to be crucified. So in a strange twist of fate, Barabbas was set free And Jesus was crucified on the cross meant for Barabbas. And so we take up where we left off. Jesus is condemned to die by crucifixion. Luke 23, beginning at verse number 24. Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. They released unto him him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. In verse 32. And there was also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand 
and the other on the left. So crucified with Jesus are two of Barabbas' gang, one on the right side, the other on the left, rebellious and violent in the name of Jewish patriotism. They committed murder. They maybe even murdered a Roman soldier. And so they were bitter, violent men who hated the Roman oppressors. No doubt they had heard of Jesus before this day. And now this famous healer was on the cross next to them. And Jesus had a sign over his head on his cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now the Jewish leaders came to see Jesus crucified. And they began to shout insults at Jesus as he was on the cross. Luke 23, verse 35. The people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Matthew also describes the same scene. I'm looking at Matthew 27, at verse number 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he'll have him for he said I am the son of God and the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth the Jewish logic for their evil behavior was if Jesus was the real son of God he would come down from that cross we could never crucify the real Son of God. But look at him now. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. And feeling the same feelings, the two thieves on either side of Jesus on the cross uh, said to Jesus, if you can get off this cross, do it. And save us too. For goodness sakes, get down and save us. And so, around the cross was a storm of criticism. Mocking Jesus. Pointing out his claims. Belittling him as weak. And unable to back up his claims. Bitterness and hatred ruled the mood of the people gathered around the cross. And then something changed. 
You couldn't see it with your eyes. But something changed. Back to Luke 23, verse number 39. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. One of the thieves, bitter and angry, shouts over to Jesus, Come on, help us! If you're Messiah, help us! Get us down! But the other thief has changed. Something inside of him changed. It could be he was staring death in the face. And soon to die, he wanted to face the truth. So he said, look, hey, wait. We committed murder. We're dying for our crimes. It's time for us to fear God. My friends, how right was that man? Death is coming and that's time to fear God. It's time to realize we're about to come face to face with God. And here we are, said the thief, dying for crimes we committed. True, we have been condemned by a Roman judge. But we're about to come face to face with a much more powerful judge. You better fear God. It's now or never. And then he said something that was really wonderful. Verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There was Jesus, surrounded by a crowd of mockers and doubters who shouted out their insults. But then one of them The thief on the cross changed his mind. He changed his opinion of Jesus and he called him Lord. He was the first one to change his mind. The question is, why? Why did he change his mind? What did he hear or see That caused him to rethink his position and change his mind. First of all, he saw something very unusual. In verse number 33 of Luke 23. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It took four soldiers to crucify a man. I'm sure 
they use ropes to help tie down their victims, but it still would take four soldiers to do the awful job. It was normal for any victim to fight and twist and kick and punch against those crucifying soldiers. So one held one arm, another the other arm, and probably the another one sat on his legs. And the fourth one pounded in the nails. It was a struggle to crucify a man. And all the while he was spitting on you and cursing and swearing at you and calling you every name that he could imagine. But not so with Jesus. He did not resist. He did not fight. He did not curse and swear. As a matter of fact, personally, I think he laid down on his own cross and stretched out his arms and waited for them to nail him. In fact, it tells us in the Bible, even those cruel, hardened soldiers who crucified men for a living... Even those calloused men realized how bad it was to be crucified. And so they came the mixture of wine and a drug called laudanum. It was a painkiller. And they gave it to the people that they crucified beforehand in order to help deaden the terrific pain. But Jesus, when he tasted it, refused to drink it. And he calmly laid down on his own cross and held out his arms. And so they drove the nail through his hands and his feet. And my friends, the pain was exquisite. Sending shocks through the body that cause it to twist and convulse an intense agony with no painkiller. Even more intense for Jesus. But no cursing. No swearing. Only these words. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A prayer. A prayer for forgiveness. My friend, nobody had ever seen anything like that ever before. They had crucified countless victims. But never anyone like this. And when the pain was most exquisite, Jesus prayed for them. Now, no doubt, the thief saw what happened and he wondered about that. And then, nothing, there was nothing. Jesus didn't say anything. He never spoke to the thief before 
hand. Matter of fact, he barely spoke at all. He only said seven short sentences. He hung there for over three hours, maybe four, in total silence. Was it the silence that won over that thief on the cross? Was it the patient bearing of the mocking insults from the crowd? Was it the quiet silence in which he suffered the pain? Remember, Jesus took no laudanum. Did the sign over Jesus' head finally get through to the thief until he suddenly realized this man is dying just like we are. But he's not afraid. I fear God. And I told my partner we need to fear God. I fear facing the judge. But he doesn't have any fear. As a matter of fact, he keeps praying to God as his father. And if he calls God's father, he must be God's son. He must be the king of the Jews. And he must be going to another kingdom. In the future, sometime, somewhere. Yes, he's dying on a cross, but his conduct is so noble and so superior. He's so quiet and calm. And the thief cries out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus, that wonderful Jesus, said what he had so often said before verily I say unto you how often did he use those words over and over again to Nicodemus verily I say unto you except a man be born again he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven to the Jews he said verily I say unto you before Abraham was I am to his disciples he said verily I say unto you I am the good shepherd To Judas Iscariot, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you will betray me. Jesus was constantly saying those words, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I am telling you the truth. All through the Gospels, it comes over and over again. Truly, I'm telling you the truth. Listen to me. And now to this dying thief, Jesus says, Listen to me. Truly, I'm telling you the truth. It is not a distant future and a far off kingdom. It's today. Today you come. This very day you'll be with me in my kingdom. Today. My friends, what a thing to hear an hour before you're going to die. That today, yes, today, this very day, my friends, how did his heart leap when he heard the word today? How did his sorrow end? How did his hope grow? How did he feel the relief of knowing today it'll be today? And at that moment, all the burden of his sin and all the weight of his guilt was transferred from his cross over onto Jesus. And he thought to himself, it's Passover. Jesus took my burdens. I'm a free man. 
And as we sing, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. There may I, the vilest he, wash all my sins away. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, I flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And so this dying thief was the first one to look past the cruel cross and see a kingdom. The first one to look at suffering Jesus and see a king. The first one to really look at Jesus and recognize who he was. He would soon be joined by the Roman centurion who would also say, truly, this is the Son of God. But, but, the thief on the other cross, as far as we know, Died with a hardened heart. Refused to let go of his bitterness and anger. So he never saw Jesus the way his companion did. His physical body died by suffocation when the soldiers broke his legs. But he died spiritually when he rejected the man on the cross next to him. Hardening of the heart. It keeps us from seeing the Savior. Beware, my friends, if you refuse Jesus too often, if you close your ears to his voice over and over, you too will die of hardening of the heart. When Jesus died, the Bible tells us his spirit left his body and he went places. Down to the place of the dead, it says. Where he said, I'm here and I'll take the keys. And then he went up to heaven's gates. Where he said, open the gates, I'm coming in. And it says, as he went, he had a shadow. Somebody right behind him. Right behind him, following him, a thief and a murderer. Forgiven and redeemed and set free. Passed over by death and given life eternal. He followed Jesus into heaven. The first convert won over by the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Look, my friends. Look at the cross. And look and live. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father. It is the love of God that we feel coming around us and filling us up. We're sorry for the role we played. We're sorry that our voices have sometimes been heard amongst the scoffers. But we want to serve you We want to follow you where you go. So, come to us in this season now. And awaken us. Bless us. Fill us up with the power of a forgiving God. And a loving Jesus. And the great cross stands before our eyes. Lift it up. That we might look and live. Help us to have looked carefully this morning that we may feel life inside. Bless us, we ask, and be with us Friday as we continue.
these thoughts and fill us up with the mercy of God to overflowing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Closing, I'd like to turn to hymn number 295. Standing as we sing. 295. Nearer, still nearer. Page 295.
We pray that our hearts would be thinking on you this season. And we pray that we would look and see the cross. Lift up our eyes and see what has happened. That our Lord Jesus was crucified. May our hearts be changed forevermore. May we know that the reason that you did it and the reason that you lived through such pain with such willingness was that we could be forgiven. That we could see these things and change our lives through you. That you would give us that chance, that opportunity, and you have done it. So may our hearts be softened. Show us the way. Be with us through this week. Keep our hearts attentive to what you have to say. Help us. Watch over us. Bring us to this place again, Lord, and may our hearts be full of worship. Protect us, we ask, as we are out in the world. May we be a light to those around. We ask for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.